You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I'm going to just begin with just some uh, opening comments, and it's just nice to see everyone. And uh, I have been looking forward to this. Uh, you have heard me now on way too many occasions reference uh, parts of this movie, uh, The Shack, because I find in it so many poignant moments when truth is revealed, things are shared, that, and they're graphically done. They're very well done within the movie. And the movie allows us to go beyond just the words that we hear and kind of draw us in to the story. And that this is one of those aspects of, of why I wanted to teach this and why I wanted to use this movie as the basis or the outline for this teaching. It's one of the more incredible stories of healing that I've ever watched, that it does it in such a good sequence, that it brings truth at, at, at ways and in means by which it certainly still for us needs to occur. And so I... I I love the way that the story is told. Within the story, we we watch and recognize that the tragedy, the drama of the story is taking us downhill. It's just getting more sad as things move and we we see more toward the end of the the movie. But it's so strangely done is at the same time when we're being taken emotionally down in the story, the healing is accelerating. That's, again, it's one of the things that's really caught my attention is how did, did Paul Young actually do this? Again, the story behind the shack is one that we have read about and heard about now many times, especially just simply in the knowing that uh, he wrote it as a, for his children. It wasn't designed to be a book on religion. It wasn't trying to make a statement. His wife had made a request, would you write some of this stuff down for our kids? He wrote it, made 20 copies, took it down to a place like Kinko's and had it bound with the plastic tabs and gave it for Christmas. After those few read it and said, you, you know, you've got to get this published and we know the rest of the story, it became a bestseller. So there, there, there was not a, an attempt to make a religious statement, but somewhere in the purity of his intention, profound truth came through. So what we're going to start with tonight, and the way, the way I plan to do this over the next uh, many weeks, I'm not sure how long it will take. Uh, some weeks are, there will be more movie covered than, than at others, but because tonight there will probably, probably be no more than about 10 minutes of the movie that's actually covered. The, fir- the thing that I'm going to cover first, and the way you see it in your notes there, is I want us to recognize how we can recognize the broken hearts, how we can recognize the broken lives, how we can see the broken identities in ourselves, first of all, but also in others. There's a set of characteristics that after doing this for 11 years are common almost in every story. And I want to share those commonalities with you because, again, it will help us, first of all, do some some examination of ourselves but primarily because, as I said this morning, 
talking about the fact that so many things, so many look backs, fear in our own lives cause us to be absent from our own future. That God has a future for us. And because we're stuck with, because he said, remember Lot's wife, remember what happened to her. When she looked back, she became this fixed point. She was stuck. And suddenly she was absent from the future that God had planned for her and for her husband, for her family. Well, looking back, we'll do the same thing for us. And I ask, as, as you remember this morning, I asked Zach, I said, Zach, do you believe that in your future that, that there is someone who is bound up in sin? Yes. Do you believe that there's someone that you'll come across that's alone? Yes. Do you believe that there's someone out there whose heart's broken? Yes. Well, if you're absent from your future, who's going to say to that person wrapped up in sin that your sins are forgiven? Who's going to say to the person who's alone that he'll never leave you or forsake you? To the one who's brokenhearted that he's here to heal you and to restore you? Who's going to speak to those folks if we're not present in our own future, in our own story that he's written for us? Well, so many times, as we, as, as we will see, that that these broken moments cause us to be absent from our own future. I don't actually know. This is, I know that, that, that this church is a little bit different because you've been hearing teaching. God's been revealing things. The Holy Spirit's been working where it's not quite as dynamic here. But I will assure you that in most churches, most congregations you walk into, there will only be a fraction of the people there that are living in the future that God has for them. Most of them are stuck based on something behind them that hurt them. Some resentment, some bitterness, some frustration, some disappointment behind them that's controlling not only their current situation, but removing them from their own future. Helping someone, recognizing that there are these common attributes among those whose hearts are broken is what we're going to look at in the first step of this, the first installment of the shack tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the, the whole segment uninterrupted, hoping that most of you here or all of you here have seen the entire movie. If you haven't, I'd really encourage you to, to, to watch it all. It, this whole thing will make a little bit more sense. But I'm going to play the whole segment that we're going to look at, and then if I can navigate through this this television, we're going to go back and then I'm going to break it down piece by piece. So we've watched that opening, that opening scene. If you've, if you've read the book, everything we just watched is in the epilogue. I had a, matter of fact, it was Parker's mother-in-law that I was making the comment one time that, it, that in the movie about Mac killing his father. And she said, that's not in the book. She said, I've read the book two times or three times. She said, that's not in the book. And I thought, man, that's a lot of freedom for them to take in making a movie to, to depart from that book that far. So when I left Parker's house, I went home and I got on the computer. I said, you know, where does it say this? And it was actually in the epilogue. Everything you've seen is in the epilogue of the book. So if you happen to read, start with chapter one, you might miss, you might miss that part. But uh, there's, there's the opening Look, so what I want to start with, you've got it there in your notes, and I'm going to do my best to follow the notes and, and so that you can make notes if you want to. Each one of these points, letters A, B, C, D, all through this, 
are the significant points that you can recognize about the common points that you can recognize in someone whose heart's broken. From the first one, from the opening scenes, we recognize that the environment in which someone lives and functions can have a profound effect on the life that they lived then. The environment also sets the tenor and the tone in a home that is ripe with broken lives and broken stories. The first thing I will tell you in ministry, and again, I'm, I'm going beyond just ministering to you. A lot of the purpose here is to get you and I ready so that we're much more capable and ready to, to minister to others. So one of the things that we'll recognize immediately and often is that the environment in which someone grew up often will have this unusual effect and set the potential of brokenness within a, within a story. Uh, and I, I've got so many of these, it's hard to pick out some that would just be, uh, where this would be clear. But for a young lady who is the oldest in a family and the story that is, you know, you could expect in this oldest child, this oldest grandchild, the attention that, that would come along and how that story would be going until, until tragedy comes and her mom remarries and in this new marriage, they have a son. What happens then? you recognize that that environment dynamically changes for this little girl. Now, we see that as perfectly normal, perfectly healthy, perfectly reasonable, but the environment changes in that situation. For someone sitting in my office and we have discovered that their false identity is I am unwanted, when we go back and recognize they've been sit they were sitting at, at McDonald's, Hearing the mom and dad have this conversation when, when the dad says, well, I don't want him. I don't know what to do with him. And the mom says, well, I don't want him. So you recognize that the divorce in that situation, though many people handle those divorce situations, not easily, but, but well, that the change in environment exposes the hearts, little hearts especially, to particular kinds of hurt. When Dale Kane was here, you know, the very first time I heard him preach, any of us, I think, probably heard him preach after leaving Calvary Baptist in Lubbock for 17 years, and he's doing this interim work. And he's out here, and the very first sermon that we hear him preach on, on Father's Day is this message about, uh, in, from, from, from Mark about these boats, these big boats that are being tossed by the, by the storm, and it says that they are being followed by little boats. He tells us that day of the story of his daughter dying in a, in a boat accident. But he's making such a good point that if the environment that's shaking the big boats, the storms that we as adults ride through, relationships, jobs, health situations, parents, children, all the things that we ride through, that if, if our boat as an adult is rocking, what's happening to the children, the little boats that are falling, following behind us, the environment will have a drastic effect on those little boats. So we should know, going into ministry, that 
one of the common things that we see is that the environment very often that someone grew up in would set the possibility of a broken heart back then and set the possibility of of a difficulty within their lives later on. The environment is huge in the story. So that's a common common thing, again, that we can look for. And And in this story, religion often mask the true heart, like of the father. He's an elder, and religion very often masks what's truly happening in the environment in a home. I want to get us to a particular place here, and then I'm going to, I'm going to stop it again. Okay, here's the question. It's 13. What do those eyes already say? What else? What's, what? I, I'm, I'm stopping here because one of the things that happens when we watch somebody, especially in ministry, is that their eyes will often tell a story that betrays their heart. They may have come in cautiously wanting to say what they want us to hear, but their eyes will usually tell the story. So he's angry here. He's, he hates his father. What else, is in these, what else is in this story that we know nothing else except the eyes that we see right there? The what? That's exactly right. The hurt is already there. This is not as obvious from the eyes, but the eyes also tell this story. This is common in every story. We're rarely hurt by someone far from us. Usually those people don't have the influence to be able to reach through and actually do real damage. They may do something to us, but we're most often hurt. As we see here in these eyes, we're most often hurt by the people who are closest to us. They are the people that we trusted. They are the people that we should have respected. Those are the people that should have been our protectors. Those are the people that should have stood in the gap for us. And you can see in his eyes as he looks at his father that none of those things are true. His father's not his protector. He's not his shield. He's not not his example. He's not his witness because the hurt is already there. The anger is there. I hate you is already there in this 13-year-old boy. It's very, very common that we will be hurt. So again, I share this with you because when you start ministering and, and someone starts talking to you and they're opening up and they're beginning to tell you things, one of the things that we do that the Holy Spirit will allow us to do with just a little bit of experience, and this is all this is really take, where this is taking us, with that little bit of experience, we can recognize that most of the time the people who hurt them are close. Over 11 years, I've discovered that if someone's been hurt between birth and five years old, it's almost exclusively the parents are the, are the very near family, the very close family that's been the cause of the hurt. It's from 6 to 12, we add to the parents teachers because they become a very trusted part of a child's life and that they can say things. 
because they're close to the, to the child to really hurt them. I ministered to a woman years ago in, in the fifth grade when her fifth grade teacher heard something about her. She had done something. It was something that would, you would expect a, a, a fifth grade girl to do. But the teacher found out about it and made a statement to her, you're such a disappointment to me. Think that had any long-term impact? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, she's sitting in my office. She's just over 40 years old. And the result of the story is that that moment in her, because, if she, because that, that disappointment, when, when she had already felt it at home, but when the teachers made that statement, disappointment became, became an identity. So yeah, it, it makes a difference. From about 13 to 18, we add the peer group. Parents, teachers, and now we add the peer group because the peer group suddenly has a place of influence over our stories. And then at about 18, it becomes our significant others, our husbands, our wives, our boyfriends, girlfriends. It becomes, because those become a trusted part of our story and the hurt has the potential of coming from there as well. Okay, let me advance this just a little further. Powerful moment right there. One of, the, one of the things that I put in my notes, you can read there at the bottom of the first page. We often see the face of God long before we realize it's Him and long before we're ready to seek healing for our hurt. Kendall McDonald is one of the first ones that I taught about this. He's now the pastor of Fredonia Hill Baptist Church in Nacogdoches. And he ministers from this same position and from this same message. Uh, and one of the things that he said in, as he's ministered deliverance to so many as well, that one of the things that he's realized is that when, when someone is delivered and they can actually for the first time in, in maybe a long time see something clearly, he said one of the common things that occurs is that they can suddenly realize how many times God had tried to reach them. How many times God had, had reached out? How many times God had pursued them? How many times God had brought them to a place of truth? God had sent someone, some message, someone to hold them, someone to love them, someone to encourage them. How many times before they were actually delivered that God had sent someone? How many times we get to see the face of God before we come to the place of readiness, before we come to the place where we're ready for God to deal with our hurt. One of the things that's common in this as well is that, that so many are ashamed of the hurt. It takes a great deal of courage to overcome that shame and to begin to tell their story. And we find it that it's just it's one of the common attributes. Shame is a common attribute. We can trust that God has shown himself to those with whom and to whom we minister. They very likely, however, didn't know that it was him. We hear Papa, this woman, who we know later in the movie is the father, Papa. And we hear her begin to address this little boy. One of the things that I hope we can take away from this, and again, I... I I've watched this enough. I read deeply into this, and it may be, some of it may be a stretch, but one of the things I like about this, 
is if we'll take it to heart, we'll recognize that Papa already knew about our hurt before we were ready to bring it to him. She already knew. When she asked him to turn his face toward her and she makes the comment that, that hitting is not something that daddy should do and says that is not love. It's very difficult sometimes for someone who has grown up in an environment to know the difference, to actually be able to recognize that that is not love that, and to have someone speak that to him becomes powerful. And he asked this profound question and it's the question that you and I have to be ready to, to answer because someone, someone in our future, someone sitting out there is gonna, is gonna look at us and say, Randy, what do I do? I'll admit I'm stuck. I'm admit I'm hurt. I'm admit that I'm broken. What do I do? We're going to have to deal with that question every time. So the preparation for how to get rid of to, to be ready for that is not simply training. It has to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is truly the equipping. But to understand that we have tools in our toolbox that we can actually use is beneficial, and that's what we're talking about. What do I do? We must be ready to deal with that question, whether spoken or inferred. We must know, whether they are fully aware or not, that the answer to all questions that we must answer is God. Talk to God. He's always listening. We heard from the beginning, pain has a way of twisting us up inside and makes us think the unthinkable as we begin to watch Mac respond to this. Our first clue and our first moments of ministry to those whose hearts are broken is that the Holy Spirit will allow us to see clearly that someone's pain is genuine, real, powerful, and often deep in their story. We're dealing with real hurt. That will, again, if it's a, if it's a, a letter like the letter C here, that's common across every story. I will encourage you, and you already know this, you cannot minister to someone, don't even begin to try, if you're gonna exclude the Holy Spirit. Because what I have to see first, what I'll admit as a minister, is that the, the, I have to be able to borrow the Holy Spirit's eyes. I have to be able to see what he sees. I have to be able to hear what he wants me to hear. Because my ability to assess someone's story that capability in me is zero. I don't have any. I wouldn't even try if I thought that someone sitting across from me, either in my office or one of the places that I meet in Lubbock, I wouldn't even begin to talk to them if I thought that I had to do this without the Holy Spirit. He already knows their story. He already knows the brokenness. If they're going to discover it with clarity and I'm going to understand it in ministry, then he's going to have to bring it. The Holy Spirit is the one who has to bring us, reveal to us the truth of, some, of someone's hurt. We are always dealing with real hurt. And the secrets that we have have a way, it says, of clawing their way to the surface. So the next thing, the next common thing there in, in, in number 10, in, in, in letter D, we move next to the reality that we find in ourselves 
and in those to whom we will minister, the reality that they have been unsuccessful in keeping their brokenness and anguish buried or locked away. What happened with Mac? The hurt inside finally bubbled to the surface. He found a way to bring the hurt to the surface. Wouldn't it have been interesting? Wouldn't it have been interesting to see what would have happened if at the altar when Mac is telling this man who is caring, you can t- I don't, I'm not criticizing the man who he talks to at the altar a bit. But I wonder what the outcome would have been if that man that he was whispering to had really just taken him aside and ministered healing to him. We understand that we often fumble in these things and and certainly the father found out what the boy had said. How important it is for you and I to recognize when is the best time to minister to a broken heart. I think Shorty was the origin of of this question. You know, when's the best time to plant a tree? You all know the answer to this by now? 30 years ago. That's the best time to plant a tree. When somebody's sitting in my office and they're 40 years old and I ask, when was the best time to minister healing to them? 30 years ago. To actually recognize that, that children's hearts are broken, they need, the salvation is certainly something they need, but we have to have a sensitivity to children whose hearts are already broken because I'd much rather catch them then. I'd much rather save them from the misery of all those years instead of them sitting in my office at 50 and 60 and 70 and even over 80 years old. One of the people that was delivered over 80 years old. How many years of living in the brokenness before they, before they were actually could step into the freedom that God had there ready for them all of those years? Ready for the, for the freedom, but... It's better to minister to them, but we have to recognize that that hurt will bubble to the surface. We will likely not be ready for help ourselves or able to help others if, if repressing the past and the pain that accompanies it is still the person's lead strategy. If somebody sends me someone and says, would you talk to them? I know they're hurting, and they come into my office, and they are not ready to talk about it. They're not ready to confront it. I, I, I will love them, I will encourage them, I will give them what, what the Holy Spirit will let me give them, but to lead them into deliverance and into healing can happen. Because if their strategy is still repression, if their strategy is still keep it buried, they're not ready yet to expose it to the light of day. It takes courage to do that. So if, if, if their strategy is still, nope, I'd rather keep it buried, then, then we have to let them Keep it buried. We minister when the Holy Spirit brings that person to a place of clarity that help and hope might be possible. The next one, letter E, we quite often are dealing with adults who have no or little idea that their current pain, their current situation, their current struggle started many years ago, often in childhood. That's one of the most amazing things. Is that 
if I'm dealing with an adult that is in a, a difficult relationship in difficult circumstances, having trouble coping, heartbroken in relationships, it is always a surprise. Different levels of surprise, but it's always a surprise when they discover that the problem that they're having now actually originated when they were five years old. We have been taught, in the, in the Christian world, we have been taught that that stuff back there is, is, is of no effect. Now, I will tell you, I, I spoke on it this morning about the danger of looking back. In deliverance and in this ministry, for a moment, we have to look back. We have to go back to origins of things. We have to go back to moments of original hurt. We have to go back and understand what happened in those moments because that hurt, that is, we need to find the root because I want to pull it out. The Holy Spirit has a desire to remove that hurt all the way from the root up. So we often have to find that. We have to look back. But everyone is generally surprised. It's, it is, it's odd to watch them, to realize that their problem today that they're facing, that they actually came to see me about, has an origin back that far. Always a little bit of a shock. That it's a false identity that they were given. Let's just imagine for a moment what... Satan could have whispered to Mac in any one of these moments. When we watch him on the porch and he's just been backhanded, what are some of the possible things that Satan could have whispered to him and said, well, Mac, you got hit because you are worthless. What else? What other possibilities? I'm sorry? Weak. One of the more harsh things that Satan says is that you're weak. What else could it have been? Unwanted. You're unwanted. What else? You see, lives are not just altered because something happened to this little boy. What happened to this little boy made him vulnerable to a voice. What happened to this little boy made him vulnerable to Satan whispering something to him. As you've heard my story so many times when Satan whispered, well, Randy, it's because you're poor. Now, we understand that the violence wasn't because this, this little boy was innocent. This little boy didn't do anything to deserve what he got. But that doesn't mean that this coward that we know is Satan won't use that moment to speak a false identity to him so that his life becomes blurred by that false identity. Any of these are true. You're not worth it. You're not good enough. You're just trouble. Anything that Satan could whisper that this boy would believe will be good enough so that he will take him away from the identity that God had established over him. It's not hard to imagine right here that, that McKenzie is taking on an identity that's not truly his. Okay. You see there at the top of page three this question. We see him there in bed as this adult man now. 
married 18 years. What can we consistently know is present in Mac's heart and in his mind as we watch this scene? As an adult man, with that story behind him, what can we know to be true about him without even any question what's going on in his mind and in his heart? What do you think? What are we actually seeing in that moment? I'm sorry? He's absolutely guilty. That's one of the things that's circling through his head. What else? Do what? Absolutely regret. Some shame mixed in there? Certainly. I'm sorry? Still hurting. The, the hurt has not ebbed. It gets buried a little bit, but the size of the hurt has not diminished at this point. What else? Still, it's just an open wound. He's had never. Yeah, the, 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 wound is, the wound is open, and any time it gets bumped, it's going to hurt. You think he's a little bit confused? You think he has right now a correct perception of God? Not at all. Again, very often what happens is that the, the ideas we have of God originate in the fathers that we've known. Not always true. We, there's a lot of exceptions to that. But very often there's a carryover into our thoughts of our heavenly father that originated in the thoughts of our earthly one. So mostly the fact that our earthly fathers are variable. We can make them happy and we can make them sad. We can make them proud and we can disappoint them. And so unfortunately, one of the things that we do to our heavenly father is that we make him variable, believing that I can move him backward and forward. I can make him happy, I can make him sad, I can make him mad, I can disappoint him, or I can please him. When in reality, the love of God for us exists because of, because of him, not because of us. He's not adjusting to me daily. He's not adjusting to me at all. He loves me. He simply loves me, and I can't do anything to make him love me more, and I can't do anything to make him love me less. But right now, in McKenzie's mind, God is somewhat of an, an enigma. He doesn't understand him. He doesn't quite yet know him. What else could be there? Think there's any doubt? You think he's moving in great faith? No, not, not a chance. So we recognize right now, we're about five minutes into the movie, that we're dealing with an adult man whose life has been defined by a brokenness before him. Please don't let this surprise you in ministry. Whether we're talking about you and you're, and you're considering yourself in these moments or you're, or you're looking in, as a minister that will someday help someone else, recognize, please, plainly, that you're dealing with an adult whose original hurt has not changed much from the days that it happened as a child. I think the youngest that I've dealt with 
if someone was hurt when they were four, and it's like, how in the world could, could, could that hurt be even be remembered? But when the Holy Spirit brought back the reality of his, this moment at four years old, he saw it so vividly and saw it so clearly and knew precisely that this was the moment of trauma, four years old. And Johnny Hill, who's given me permission many times to talk about her story, the ugly that we saw went back to four years old, but the actual hurt that broke her heart didn't happen until she was about 16. So we were looking for a black dot on a very dark gray background. A lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness, and finally found that moment of false identity when she was 16 years old. I can tell you, we understand that we're looking into the faces of broken adults who are looking for an exit ramp from their hurt. They've been trying for years, knowing and unknowingly, trying to get rid of it unsuccessfully. But now, by what we can share with them, because we, we, we know it ourselves, we know it to be true, we know his heart, we can find the exit ramp, which is the Holy Spirit, to bring them into a victory that they've never known, a freedom that they've never experienced in healing that they really wouldn't have even imagined from the hurt that they once experienced. I'm going to ask this, this one last question, but I want, to, I want to play this to the end. It won't take but just a second. The last question that I wrote here is how ready was Mac for the great sadness? When that great sadness hit him, what did it hit? What did we just list? That great sadness hit against his confusion about who God was. It hit against his own hurt, his own brokenness, his own shame, his own guilt, his own doubt. It hit against all of that stuff. So how ready was Mac for the great sadness when it came? He wasn't ready at all. What happens if we leave people in the brokenness? What happens if the ministry of deliverance isn't given and shared with them openly and honestly with the, with the full expectation that they can break free from that old childhood hurt where they can actually know God more than just the salvation that he's provided, which we're so grateful for, but knowing beyond that as the healer, knowing, be, knowing beyond that as the one who transforms lives, who brings freedom, who brings us into a dynamic that we never even knew possible. How ready would he have been had someone ministered to him and told him about the power of God to heal him and to transform him? Well, I tell you what, the hurt would have still been dynamically powerful. But the tragedy that followed of, of his life and how he got so far off track, his inability to minister to his own daughter and her brokenness is the result of the fact that this great sadness hit against such brokenness. And that's where we find that most great sadness hits. It hits against someone who is totally unprepared, whose faith is not intact, whose perceptions of themselves is not right, is not strong. Thank goodness we find some who are, but so many times. And I'm going to make a point here that it's just, uh, 
And it's just an observation on my part. I don't ask you to agree. It's one of those small nuances that probably doesn't need to be mentioned. But it's interesting to me that in the movie, they're portraying church as something that is almost a monotone. The singing, there is, there is no anticipation in it. There is no glory in it. There's no splendor in it. It's this, it's, I, I don't, it's almost sung in a minor key. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but it's the, the singing of the song is in, is in a very subdued way. And I will tell you what I, what I pick up on there is that that subdued religion will offer someone whose heart's broken very little help. Because for 18 years, apparently he had been sitting in that situation, how much help had that subdued religion actually provided? Not any. Religion that tries to get us to do and gets us focused on that the way we please God is in the things that we do will actually take us away from the relationship, that relationship and the healing and the ministry and the closeness that Mackenzie desperately needed wasn't there, but a strange religion was. The power of God to move us into relationship to where we know we're loved is the only way we'll truly ever under, understand how much he loves us, how we can trust him, how we can know him, how good he actually is. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.